Good morning, y'all. Come on, y'all. That was really weak. Good morning, y'all. That was better. All right, well done. Um, hey, y'all, I just want to take a minute to uh, to thank y'all for your uh, prayers and some of you for your support uh, for our youth summer camps uh, this summer. Uh, we had Mix was our middle school camp and Move was our high school camp. Um, especially want to brag on our students uh, this past week at, at our high school camp. We had uh, we had one student um, accept Jesus uh, as their savior for the first time uh, this week at camp, uh, which is which is awesome. Uh, and we had about eight students that, that rededicated their lives to Christ uh, while we were at camp. And, and then we also had about three students um, that received the, the call uh, to go into full-time ministry. Uh, so I just want you to be aware uh, that God is is moving uh, in the youth at Grace Community Church. So uh, so be thinking about them, keep them in your prayers. Um, but we just thank you for your your support and uh, and your prayers as we've been to camp uh, this week. Um, so with that said, uh, would you uh, bow your heads with me before we get started this morning? Dear God, I pray that you would. Soften our hearts this morning. God, that as we come before you, as we come before your word, as we uh, seek to enter into relationship with you this morning, God, I pray that you would help us to experience you. God, I pray that you would help us uh, to put aside the, the distractions and the problems and, and the things that are that are trying to, to keep our attention, God, that you would uh, that you would remove that. That this morning we could experience you in new ways, God. That we would that our soul and main focus would be on you this morning. So, God, as we uh, come before your word, your your God breathed scripture that you've given us, God, I pray that you would soften our hearts to receive it. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts this morning, that we, that we may be ready to learn what you have to teach us this morning. God, may we not leave here the same people as when we came in, but may you grow us and change us because of how we experience you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I grew up in your typical Southern Christian family. Uh, we were one of those families that we were literally at church whenever the doors were open. Uh, we were always at church, at least it seemed to me when I was young. Um, I was I was the good kid. Uh, I knew all the Bible story answers. Um, I always won won the the Sunday school hangman game. Uh, always had always won all the candy. Um, all in all, I had a pretty uh, normal life uh, starting out. Um, I first accepted uh, Jesus Christ at the at the very early age of four years old. Um, of course, when you're four years old, that really means like, you know, yeah, I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven, and that was that was the extent of my my walk with with Christ. But um, but that all changed for me. And two years later, at the age of six years old, I was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And in English, basically, that means that uh, I had a cancer that affected the white blood cells in my bone marrow. Um, so to narrow that down for you, that means that it was really bad. 
Um, this was uh, this was really it was really a bad bad news for for me. Um, at the time of my diagnosis, the doctors gave me a a 35% chance of surviving. Um, I was not supposed to. The doctors did not give me much of a chance of living. I was supposed to die. And this began what is probably and will be uh, the hardest part of my life that I've ever had to experience. I immediately went into uh, intensive care. Um, and I, and the, I basically, it was so bad that it was, I essentially lost all track of time. My, and my days became confined to one single white hospital bed hooked up to so many machines and wires and who knows what that, you know, that I couldn't even turn over at night in my own hospital bed. I couldn't eat, could barely sleep. I've always felt sick. But worse than that was the complete and utter seclusion. Early on in the hospital, I experienced what it was like to truly be alone. My only regular company was the machines that kept beeping along, telling the doctors that somehow I was still alive. My parents could only visit every so often, and it, it literally felt like forever between the times that I saw them. And it got worse when, when the night closed in, when, when the sun went down, and... The darkness closed in and I was left to the mercy of my thoughts and the darkness that now surrounded my life in that little hospital bed. I can distinctly remember crying myself to sleep every single night. And I remember as a little six-year-old laying in a hospital bed, in my mind every single night, screaming out in my mind, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? See, I had lost all hope. All I knew was despair. For me, life had hit rock bottom at that point. I had hit rock bottom. If you have your Bible... Turn to Genesis chapter 39. Today we'll be looking at the story of a guy named Joseph. One of my, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. Of course, I say that a lot because I have a lot of favorite stories in the Old Testament. Um, but today we'll be in Genesis chapter 39. And this is a story about a guy named Joseph. Joseph, to give you a little backstory, Joseph was his dad's favorite. He was the favorite kid. And everybody knew it unfortunately including Joseph, because he wasn't afraid to show it off. In fact, early on in Joseph's story, he was kind of a punk little kid, one of those kids that you kind of want to punch in the mouth. Um, and it says that his brothers got so jealous that Scripture actually says they could not physically say a kind word to him. His brothers hated his guts to the point where they literally could not stand his presence. It's pretty bad. And it got so bad to the point where his brothers actually made the decision that we are going to kill our younger brother. 
But instead of killing them, they sell them into slavery for a couple hundred bucks. How many of you would sell your siblings for a couple hundred bucks? Don't raise your hand. That's terrible. Um, so Joseph gets sold into slavery, and he, he gets traded to these guys that are Ishmaelites and, and get, has to walk down to the nation of Israel, which is over 200 miles walking through the desert and probably staring at the butt of a camel the entire time. Uh, and he's sold to this guy named Potiphar, who is captain of the, uh, captain of the guard um, underneath the, uh, the guy in charge. So, uh, so that's where we're picking up, Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse 6. And it said, that, so Potiphar left everything he had, he had in Joseph's care. Joseph was in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. So here, Joseph is sold into slavery, walks through the desert, gets sold as a slave to this guy named Potiphar, and he does fairly well for himself. Um, it says that he gets put in charge of Potiphar's estate. He makes the best of being a slave. Going on in verse Finishing verse 6, he says, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, kind of like me. Um, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and run out of the house, she called the household servants and said, Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak in my hand and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home, and then she tells him the same story. Verse 18, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak and ran out of the house. Verse 19, when his master heard the story, he, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave traded treated me, he burned with anger. So Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Oh, this is worse than a bad soap opera. I mean, this is a terrible situation that Joseph is now in. Now he's he's stuck in prison. It says, Scripture says, in the king's prison. So he's either stuck in prison for the rest of his life. His only other option is that he's executed. Those are his two options at this point in life. And the worst thing is that Joseph has done everything right in this situation. Joseph was the one guy who had every right to say, I'm just, I don't even care about what God says because my life is terrible at this point. He has been sold by his brothers to slave traders, walked 200 miles through the desert staring at the butt of a camel, sold to a guy um, sold to a guy as a slave, and now he is falsely accused despite the fact that he did the wrong thing. 
Scripture actually tells us that he said he did not do it because he did not want to dishonor God. Joseph does everything right in this situation. Everything right. you got to be proud of him. He runs out of the house at the slightest hint of temptation. And where does that land Joseph? Now it lands him in prison for the rest of his life waiting to be executed. If you ask me, Joseph has now hit a rock bottom moment in his life. Joseph has done everything right, made all the right decisions, and yet moment after moment after moment, his life continues to get worse and worse and worse. And I think the question we have to ask ourselves is what do we do with that? When we look at an example, when we look at scripture like that, and we see the story of a guy who does everything right and still ends up waiting for death, what do you do with that? Because see, I think that in America we have what I would call a, a bad theology of suffering. We don't really understand how it works. I think that a lot of us somehow have, have come to this conclusion that if we, if we follow the rules, if we do the right thing, if we say all the right things, if we follow the rules, if we, uh, if we do what the Bible tells us to do, that life will be great. That life will be awesome. You know, as long as we don't, you know, cuss at least when other people are around or we don't drink too much in public or that kind of stuff. I mean, as long as we follow the rules, if we do the right things, that somehow God will honor that and it will and life will be awesome. Somehow we've gotten to the point where we think that that's how the goodness of God works. That somehow we think that that's how life happens. Or we think that that's what scripture is telling us. But I think we all know that that's not really the case. I think we all know that our experiences tell us differently. Every single one of you here this morning is sitting here with some kind of pain, with some kind of hurt, with some kind of circumstance that, that just doesn't seem right. Every single one of us at some point in your life or will at some point in your life experience pain and suffering and evil and hurt. And you have to, and, you, and we get disillusioned by this idea that I must not be doing something right because my life is not getting better. We get disillusioned with this idea that somehow if we follow the rules that life will be awesome. But we know from personal experience that that's not how it works. That that's not what happens. Not only that, it's, it's not biblical. Let's look at a couple verses in the New Testament. It's literally like every single book in the New Testament addresses this idea of suffering. But we're just going to hit a few. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Do you notice what James says there? He's not, if you come across trials, or if you come across sufferings, or maybe you happen to come upon one. He says, when. When you come face trials of many kinds. 
when. Second Timothy chapter three, verse twelve. Paul is talking to me. He says in verse twelve, he says, "In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." I don't think it gets much clearer than that. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 12, Jesus himself says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward, because, because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who came before you. You see a common theme here? At what point does it say life gets better because you're a Christian? I think if we take a proper look at Scripture, it actually says quite the opposite. Scripture says when you come across circumstances. When Jesus says, um, Jesus himself says that you will experience persecution because of me. That's part of the natural life we have as Christians is we will experience trials. Because ultimately, our worldviews and our morals and our beliefs are opposite of what the world tells us to do. It's going to happen. If somebody ever told you that life was going to be easy because you are a Christian, I'm sorry, that person lied to you. That's not true. I can't promise you that life is always going to be easy. I also can't promise you that life is always going to be good. Life is going to have its ups and downs because we live in a fallen, broken world. This, this perfect design that God created for us, we broke it. It's done. It's finished. It's broken. It's fallen. We will experience pain, trial, suffering, and hurt. There's no way around it. And I can't promise you that life is always going to get better because you follow the rules or because you're the perfect Christian or because you come to church all the time. That's not how it works. I can't promise you that. I can't promise you that life is always going to be easy or that it's going to be hard. But however, I can promise you this, that God will be with you through all of it. In Genesis chapter 39, in the story of Joseph, I think this is something that we miss too often. Verse 2, it says that the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And then if we look in verse 21, it says the Lord was with him. Verse 23, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph. If you really look for it, it stands out. Here we see bad situation, Lord is with Joseph. Bad situation, Lord is with Joseph. Bad situation, Lord is with Joseph. Each and every single time we get that promise of despite what's happening, despite the hurt and the pain and the trials and the stuff that we go through, the Lord was with Joseph. Every single time. I can promise you that no matter what you go through, that God will be with you. And here's the thing, because Joseph was put into this prison, he eventually goes on to become the second in command in all of Egypt. I would encourage you to read through the story of Joseph sometime. It's really incredible. But I'm going to go ahead and skip 
forward to Genesis chapter 45. And basically what happens is that this famine, this starvation happens through all, all throughout the land. Joseph becomes second in command. He gets put in, in charge of all of the food resources. And eventually his own brothers come down to Egypt to buy food. And they meet with none other than Joseph himself. And when they find out that it's him, they're terrified. But, but Joseph's response here I think is so helpful for us. In Genesis chapter 45, Starting in verse 4, he says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed or be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you, a remnant on earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph ends up saving his entire family from starvation. Basically, without Joseph, we would not have this thing that we call the nation of Israel. We would not have what we call the Old Testament. Without Joseph going through this pain, this suffering, this bad circumstances, this rock-bottom moment after rock-bottom moment, without any of that, we would not have what we call the New Testament. We would not have the message and the hope of Jesus Christ if we go all the way back to Genesis where Joseph was used by God, where his circumstances, despite the pain and the hurt and the trials, where God used that to save a people, to save his family and create a nation. That God used all of the terrible circumstances that Joseph went through. That he had a plan all along, even through all the stuff that was happening to Joseph. And even though it might have been terrible at the time when Joseph experienced it, that God ultimately used it for his will and for his good. And God used that time when I was in the hospital too. During that time when I was alone, when I can experience that complete, that utter seclusion, that complete despair, when I had no hope, when I was screaming out in my mind of why this is happening to me, is when I heard that still small voice that said, I am here. I am here. And that's when Jesus became not only my best friend, but at times my only friend. I went through chemotherapy and radiation treatment for four and a half more years. And life was never easy for me. I wish I could say that after that point where I truly met Jesus, that life was awesome, but it wasn't. And many times it got a lot worse. And I can't tell you how many times that I, as a little six-year-old in the hospital, that I wanted to give up. Where over and over and over again, I hit these rock bottom moments where I got to the point where I literally wanted to die. But in every single one of those rock bottom moments is when God showed up and said, I am here. And God ultimately used that part of my life. Not that he planned it or not that it was something that I rejoice in, but I appreciate and rejoice in the fact that God used it for his good. That in all the times that I wanted to give up, that God never gave up on me. 
that he used that part of my life to shape me and to grow me and to truly let me experience what it was like to have a relationship with God. And I would not be standing here in front of you to this day. I firmly believe that if it were not for the saving grace of Jesus Christ in my life, I would not be alive. I know that. Because I heard that still small voice saying, I am here. Many of you are in, in a rock bottom moment now. Some of you have experienced those rock bottom, hopeless moments in the past. Some of you are going to go through those in the future. That's part of life. But the question is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do when you reach those rock bottom moments in your life? Because maybe we need to change how we see those. Maybe you don't need to ask God to change your situation, but rather ask him to change you through it. Maybe your sight needs to look a little bit different as you ask God to shape you and grow you through the trials, that he would use all of the hurt and use all the pain and the trials and the suffering and all the stuff that we go through if he would merely use it for his glory. If he would shape you and grow you and bring him closer to you, and when you can hear that still small voice of saying, I am here. Guys, life is going to be tough. There's no doubt about it. I think we all know that. We all experience it. But we have a loving and merciful Savior who will never let you go. And the best part of it is that there is nothing that is too big for God to redeem in your life. There is no hurt, there is no pain, there is no suffering that is too big for God not to use it for his glory and for his will. Because he's a big God and he's a good God. And he can take you and shape you and grow you and change you despite everything that you're experiencing. And he can take you and he can change you with those still small words of I am here. If you're merely willing to say, God, take me. If you're merely willing to surrender yourself, if maybe it's time for you this morning to give up your hurt and your pain and your suffering and your trials and say, God, I can't handle it. But you can. Maybe it's time to give that over to God and say, here, take this, God. Use it. Change me. Grow me. Life is going to be tough. It's going to knock us down. But there is nothing that's too big for God to use and redeem. And if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. That God will never leave you or forsake you. That despite all of the stuff that you go through. That no matter what, through the highs and the lows, the difficulties, the good times. No matter what, God is good and he is faithful and he will never leave you alone. That he will never let you walk through that alone if you merely let him in. 
There is nothing that is too big for God to use and redeem. And guys, I don't just say this, but God will always be enough if you let him. I know that from personal experience. When I've gotten to the point in my life where I literally wanted to die, where I had no reason to keep living, that I know in those moments is when Jesus said, I am enough. That I'm enough for you to keep living, to keep going. That I want to use you and shape you and grow you and change you through this and shape you into the person that I want you to be. And I can't tell you how many times over and over and over again those words changed my life of I am here. Guys, maybe this morning is the time when you need to surrender your hurt and your pain, your suffering and your trials, no matter what you're going through, of saying, God, I can't handle it. I don't understand what's happening. I have too much going on in my life. I can't handle this much pain. But God, can you take this and use it for your glory? I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Um, But before we do that, I want to encourage you this morning, take the time to do business with God. They're going to they're gonna do a song for us. This is, maybe you don't need to sing, sing along, maybe you do. But right now is the time when you need to do business with God. When maybe you've been running away, when you've been hurt so bad that you just can't even look at God. Maybe this is the time you turn around and say, God, take this, use it, change me, grow me. Maybe you've been, maybe you've forgotten just how good and powerful God is. Maybe you've forgotten this, this will and, and this promise that he's put in your life. Maybe now's the time to turn back, look at God, and say, take this. So you are good. Now is your opportunity to do business with God. So I'm going to pray for us. You take the time. Meet with God this morning. Experience him. Hear those words of I am here, of I am enough, and I will never leave you or forsake you. So I'm going to pray. They're going to sing. You reflect, and then you guys are dismissed. So bow your heads with me and pray. God, you are so good. God, and we forget that way too often. And we get distracted by the hurt and the pain and, and the circumstances that we go through. God, that we have so much else that captures our attention that we lose our sight of you in the midst of everything that we go through. But God, this morning we proclaim and we trust that you are good, that you are powerful. God, and that you are big enough to redeem even the worst of circumstances that we go through. God, help us to receive you this morning, to experience you, to do business with you, to meet with you.
God, take us. Take us as your broken people, as your hurting people in need of a Savior. God, take us, shape us, use us. God, grow us through our circumstances. God, this morning, help us to surrender our lives to you, to give up the hurt and the pain. God, I pray that you would help us to experience you this morning, that we would truly understand that you are with us and that you will never leave us. God, you're so good. And you love us so much we can't even comprehend. But we try and love you just a little bit back this morning. God, help us to experience you. In Jesus' name, amen.